0: Welcome to the Don Provda and Erica Gray Show, The
1: Twist. Welcome to The Twist News. I'm Erica Gray.
2: And I'm Don Pravda. Welcome.
1: Today, we're going to have as our guest by phone, the Honorable Jerry Grafstein, a former Canadian senator who served for 26 years.
2: He is a geopolitical rock star, having served on the Standing Senate Committee on Foreign Affairs and International Trade. He was a senior officer of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE.
1: He's met and interacted with many world leaders, including Vladimir Putin.
2: And he is the author of several books, and today we're going to talk about The Fractured 20th Century, which not only recounts world history, but his participation in various related meetings.
1: His excellent book, Don, is a must-read, and we are honored and happy to introduce to you now Jerry Grafstein. We're going to talk about your great book. Terrific.
2: It's a wonderful book, sir. Uh, kudos to you, and so covering Thank all you. that material, and of course, mentioning your personal revelations, talking about your family. I might even add that my mother's name is was miral my, mo- my mother, blessed memory, and I know uh, that I'm your grandmother's name, miral right. We, we right. already have this in common.
1: So it's it's you had some career with heading having a leadership role within the OSCE foreign policy your specialty for many years you served in the Senate for 26 years but what's great about the book is how you intertwined not only the history of what's happened in the last century but also Various meetings that you got to attend. What would you say is probably the most memorable? Of well, I, think,
0: I think the most memorable was uh, a meeting in the uh, Reichstag in the German Reichstag in Berlin, <clears throat> and uh, during that meeting we had a side meeting with uh, uh, to talk about anti-Semitism. And so I gave a speech in exactly the same place where Adolf Hitler stood in the Reichstag, in Berlin. And at that same meeting, we had Eli Wiesel, who spoke, and it was one of the most memorable speeches I ever heard, because he did something that I had never, couldn't sum up for myself, and that was anti-Semitism. And he summed it up very shortly, and he said, very quietly and carefully, he said, you can teach a child to love or to hate. And that, to my mind, was truly a revelation.
1: Wow! What what a story! I mean, standing in the same place that Adolf Hitler—I no. mean, right.
0: in the Reichstag right in, in the heart of Berlin.
1: Wow! Amazing. And that actually was—you did not mention in the book that particular story.
0: No, I didn't. I didn't mention that.
1: Who was your? favorite leader who you met. I know that's in another book, but you and I spoke a bit about how you met Vladimir Putin. Yeah,
0: well, the two two leaders, the two most outstanding leaders, (coughs) in my view, of the 20th century, were uh, Menachem, uh, uh, was uh, the uh, head of Lubavitch, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the head of Lubavitch, the chief rabbi of the Lubavitch, and the other one was Pope John uh, the Third, the Second.
1: Yes, and you did an outstanding chapter uh, on both of them. On both of both them, them, and unbelievably well written.
0: To my mind, those two are the most outstanding beaters that I met, that I knew, and uh, that uh, I thought did a great job in the world. These two men. Uh, when you take a look at the dissident movement in Russia, they were the two leaders, each in their own way, that led that movement, led that movement. Uh, both uh, both, the, both, the Pope and he and I had five private audiences, and the Rebbe, and we had two private audiences. And they were both moving. Moving in, as, I think those two men had, particularly the Rebbe, He he was uh, quite a sensational guy, and um, he once said to me, um, when I went to meet with him, I was having some problems intellectually and emotionally, and he said, you can't change yesterday, you can only change today, so look forward, think of something new, and do a good deed every day. So that's been one of my guiding principles uh, since I met with him.
1: Wow, yeah, that's powerful. Amazing story, sir. That is powerful. And I can't believe you met with the Pope five times.
2: Oh,
0: five times. And the
1: reason five. For that yeah, is... how did oh. that happen?
0: Well, in the 80s, in the 80s, uh, he, uh, my father was in the Polish army, and he won uh, the Medal of Honor uh, fighting for the Polish War of Independence in 19, uh, between 1918 and 1920. And... Um, uh, my because he was Polish, and even though he was Jewish, a friend of mine who was a minister of uh, multiculturalism, Stan Haydash, <clears throat> a Polish-born doctor, uh, he saw the, the picture and he said, can I put it in the uh, Polish Congress in, in Canada? I said, sure. You know, here's a copy of it. Now, in, in the mid-'80s, a man by the name of Otia, who was the Archbishop of Krakow, came to visit Stan Haydash. And when he saw the picture, in he was from Krakow, he was a Polish um, archbishop. And he said to hey Dash, he said, that's very interesting. I think that um, my father on his chest had a, a number. It was a, it was a company in the Pelsitsky Brigades. And so Stan called me and said, you've got to come and meet this guy. So I went to meet him. He's a tall, good-looking guy, uh, spoke 10 languages, including Yiddish, and uh, he said to me, I think your father and my father were in the same company together in the First World War. And it turned out that that was the case. And uh, years later, when he became the pope, his name was Ocea, he became the pope. The, Arch- the uh, Cardinal of Toronto, Cardinal Carter, who's a friend of mine, said, uh, you won't believe this, I've just come from the... Uh, from the appointment of the Pope in Rome. And when I went to get my marching orders from Toronto, he said to me, do you know a guy by the name, do you know somebody by the name of Jared Graston? He said, yes, I do. He says, well, tell him I want to come and have a, I want him to come and have an audience with him. And so he arranged an audience. And when I met the Pope in Rome, in this in the private audience, he walked across the room. He was white, he was very good looking, tall, big blue eyes, <clears throat> and he said to me, so Senator, by this time I was a senator, he says, let's talk about our fathers. So I saw him, I, I saw him then, and then I saw him about eight weeks before he died when I was in Rome again. He heard I was there. He found out that I, he asked me to show up. I did, and I saw him eight, eight weeks before he died. And his opening greeting to me was always, so, senator, let's talk about our fathers.
1: Wow. I mean, there's so many people that would love to meet the Pope. It's a dream to meet the Pope, to even see him, and you have five meetings with him and this
0: private
1: yeah, private audiences. Private mm-hmm. audience and this uh, bond because of your fathers. It's uh, that's that's yeah. an unbelievable story. I mean, a lot of the stories in your book, I mean, uh, I liked even when you talked about how you got started that it wasn't like, I mean, I would have thought you maybe as a child were interested in foreign policy and government no, but no. no not at all it's that that piece well, was you, interesting I'll
0: tell, I'll, tell, I'll tell you how i got interested in foreign in foreign foreign affairs <clears throat> um i was born in 1935 the war started in 1939 and my father spoke 12 languages and uh, i flung kindergarten i flunked kindergarten are you serious i'm serious i flunked kindergarten I was, wow. I was, I was, I was, so my father, in effect, uh, was you know, my mother, when my father, my mother wanted to talk, they spoke Polish. Uh, I understood Yiddish a little bit in English, but I didn't understand Polish. So my mother, when I got my report, gave my father a health, he says, here's this guy, you speak 12 languages, and you can't teach your son how to read or write. Impossible. <laughs> so the, fall- the following morning, uh, my father picked me up at six o'clock in the morning, 630 in the morning. Uh, he said his prayers at six o'clock in the morning. He picked me up at about six thirty. Washed my hands. So he took me into the living room. Put me on the floor. Got the London Free Press, which is a daily paper in my hometown. He said, "Start reading." I said, "Daddy, I can't read." He says, "Well, start reading." And, there, and that continued. That continued with him from the age of uh, four and a half till uh, till I was twelve years old.
1: Yeah, I've, I found it interesting that when you went to college, it wasn't, it's like this just, this happened for you, like this great career just happened. It's not something no, that- No, it
0: didn't. It didn't happen for me. Quite frankly, my father died when I was uh, 15 years old. Oh. So it was me and my mother. And, uh, oh, wow. Your feet and uh, start a little store, a hat store in London, Ontario. And once that was set up, I could go on my way. And so I went to college, two years at university, and then I went to law school. And each time, I was really lucky because I ended up with a lot of mentors, people that I respected. And, uh, and I learned a lot from my dean at the law school to the, uh, uh, another man called Borel Laskin, who became the first Jew to be appointed to the Court of Appeal of Ontario, and then to the Supreme Court of Canada, and a number of others. Uh, and, then, and then later on, I went to work for John Turner, who became a prime minister. I was his first chief of staff, and then after that, I went. Uh, I was appointed by Pierre Trudeau, and uh, then became wow. a, became well, a close advisor to him for for years, hmm. twenty years.
1: So that's what started you on the path, then towards the well, no, government. Well, what
0: started me off is that uh, when I graduated from law school, my wife and I were in a little apartment,
1: mm-hmm. and I was
0: going out with my my former student colleagues. At law school, and my wife said, I'm becoming a poor get out in the world. And that day, uh, uh, a, a poster appeared, not a poster, uh, a, a flyer appeared, saying there's a meeting of a liberal association about a mile away from my home. So I went there, and that day, I met the former, the minister of, who was going to become the minister of finance, Walter Gordon, Keith David, the chief organizer of the Liberal Party. And then, um, I became president of the Young Liberals that night. Nine months later, I was uh, president of Toronto, Young Liberals of Toronto. Mm. And, uh, three months after that, uh, I became vice president of English-speaking in Young Liberals across Canada. And they appointed me to the campaign committee of Mr. Pearson. So I sat beside Mr. Pearson with mm. nine months standing start.
1: Wow. Incredible science. That is, that's an incredible story.
0: And Mr. Pearson became a mentor. And, uh... One of the bad guys at that time was the conservative leader, John Diefenbaker. Mm-hmm. Went to Ottawa to work for John Turner. I didn't know anything about Ottawa. I knew a lot about politics, but I didn't know about how the government works. And uh, so I got a, somebody said, "Well, why don't you call Diefenbaker, who was then the minister of the opposition?" I said, "Oh my God, I can't. Uh, he's the devil. You can't go with him. Yeah, I, I'm a liberal. He's a conservative." No, go and see him so i went to see him and he said oh i know all about your crafts and he said you did this and you did that what can i do for you And i said well i want to know how you uh, how, how as a young guy like me understand government how it works so he said make sure you get you don't do anything that the civil servants object to get them on side, and you'll get something done it's never your idea it's got to be their idea make sure you don't take credit for it and that was very helpful so i always give people credit for stuff that i did
1: <laughs> uh-huh. That sounds like a good plan.
0: Government, government always, government is, uh, people in government are very self, um, how can I put it, self-absorbed, and therefore you have to make sure that it's their, their ideas. And then finally, and I spent some time with Mr. Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau, not Justin Trudeau, <clears throat> he said to me, Graske, he said, you're probably the smartest idea guy in the Liberal Party. And I said, yeah. And he said, you, you might be even the smartest idea guy in, in politics in Canada. I said, yeah. And he said, but you've got a problem. I said, sir, I do not have a problem. He said, you've got a big problem. I said, what's that? If you think a good idea sells itself, it doesn't. Hmm. You, can't open it. you open up a file, you've got to make sure that you close the file and get it done. Nothing happens on its own. It can be the greatest idea in the world, Ideas don't sell anything. It's what you do to make sure that they get it. Don't open a file unless you can close it. So that was a great tra- training, real guide for me.
1: It sounds like you, you had a lot of good advice that I mean, helped you yeah. along. What do you feel is your, was your greatest contribution to Canada? Well,
0: I, inter- I introduced about uh, four or five uh, private member's bills as a senator. Uh, one was uh, to recognize uh, the uh, Holocaust Day, uh, that was very important. The other was I passed a law, I had helped pass a law, it took me 10 years to pass a law that would uh, criminalize uh, uh, people that proclaimed uh, uh, suicide bombing. Now, Up until that time, uh, there are a lot of imams in Toronto that were talking about suicide bombing. And this, out so after that bill was legislated and went through both uh, the, the law of Parliament, when that happened, it stopped. It stopped cold. It was a chilling piece of legislation, and that was a fight. It took me ten years to get that through. Wow! Get a bill through. It has to go through two readings of the Senate, three readings of the House of Commons, exactly the same language. You know, not unlike not uh, the American Congress, and. Uh, but that, that that was important. The other the other bill was important to me. It was uh, I established the parliamentary port lawyer following the parliamentary the uh, port lawyer in the United States. So that's that's now the law of the land, and uh, a number of others. Number of other
1: wow. Conflict. And you also worked for the OSCE. What do you I did. What do you feel is well, your the OSCE greatest? Was, the
0: OSCE was a very interesting organization. In um, 1974, uh, when there was a sort of the first rapprochement uh, with the with the West, with the Russia, uh, they, they organized this, this organization, it's called the Organization of Security and Economic Cooperation, and it has uh, 150 odd countries, and uh, the United States and Canada are both voting members, so I became the head of the all-party delegation and when I got there I was elected treasurer so nothing really happened because I, mean, I had to sign off on all of the, the money bills and then uh, I became head of the Liberal Party grouping in at the OSC and there were three groupings there was the Conservatives there was the uh, Socialists and there were the Liberals. who were in the middle and because of the number of uh, uh, the number of votes uh, minority, which was me, we had about 18%. The other two had, you know, the conservatives had about 40, the socialists and the other. Nothing could happen without me. So I helped, I appointed, uh, I had to sign off on all the appointments, all the vice presidents, all of the rapporteurs. Was, it was quite interesting, influential. I and mean, we did immaculate work trying to bring together the countries of Europe together and they he still are still there. Meanwhile, during that period of time, we're getting, we set up all party groups to go and supervise elections. And I was in Russia, I supervised an election. In Russia, I supervised two elections in the Ukraine, so I know the Ukraine like the back of my hand, um, and uh, did it in, in uh, a couple of other countries, and it was quite interesting, because once you got into the country, you had to understand the internal politics Understand what your report should say. So, and it's, it's, if you take a look at the United States today, take a look at Canada today, they both have the huge problems. One interference with uh, elections. In Canada, it's, it's top of the top of the news cycle today about Chinese interference in our elections. And this was an in, these were independent groups that would make reports and call out countries that didn't have independent elections.
1: Wow, so that's...
0: Each of those countries. And I know them like the back of my hand. Hmm.
1: So that sounds like a major yeah. contribution the, uh, from the OSCE.
0: Well, it wasn't, it wasn't just the OSCE is a very important organization. It still exists. It does a good job. It unfortunately, doesn't get the that It should. But we set up, I helped set up a, a website so that, so we could get the word out.
1: What do you feel, what word would you you like to get out while you're on this show about it that maybe is not understood?
0: uh, I want to talk about the failure of leadership in the Western world. I, I, all my life I've studied leadership. Um, My, one of my heroes was Winston Churchill. My next book is going to have a long, a long book of his life. And,
1: uh, and you also, yes. And you have the book about leaders, uh, different prime ministers that you've met about leadership.
0: talks about that but today the real issue is leadership and we happen to have i think um the most immature and uh and uh weak leadership that the worst western world has ever seen
1: i'm glad mm-hmm. you're saying that because we talk about that on this show mm-hmm. and you and i in a conversation you said to me when that the leadership in the united states is stupid one word stupid we've said that on yeah, the show well, yeah
0: Yeah, i do i i I believe uh, by the way i know joe biden he's a he was and is a terrific guy but it's weak leadership and and uh, you can't put the finger in one corner it's it's on it's everywhere it's weak leadership in europe i mean imagine the strongest military force in the world and they can't quell um the invasion of the ukraine it's it's and to watch the slaughter every day is just I don't know if you're a Christian or a Jew or, or a Muslim, and you can see, sit there and watch that and not cringe. Not cringe. The other thing you'd probably be interested in is, is why. Why is America woke? Why? It's not very complicated. If, you're, if you are secular and you're not a believing person and you don't believe in anything, you can do anything. So take a look, America, people are doing things that are absolutely outrageous. True. I mean, when, when they isolate Christianity, when, 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 uh, and it doesn't matter what, what stroke of Christianity you are, if uh, you're a fundamentalist or you're, or you're an uh, Episcopalian or a Catholic, I, I cringe when, for instance, Catholics and Christians in Europe are slaughtered and Christianity doesn't come to the rescue. The Rohingya, take a look at it. There's something wrong with this generation. There's something wrong, and I I don't know it except that I think, I always believe the Jewish expression, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you fear the Lord, then you become wise. And I think the the absence of the fear of the Lord, to my mind, has accelerated the decay of the Western world.
1: You're right. I agree, sir. We totally agree and there's it's mm. lawlessness. You have lawlessness. That's what's what it is and the the foreign policy on the part of the United States. No,
0: but but, but stop about the foreign policy. Talk about the home front. Google I cannot visit. I visit every state of the United States because I was head of the canada US central parliamentary group. So I I visit every capital of the United States, I visit every major city of the United States, I got to know congressmen and senators on both sides and now i look at america and i take a look at san francisco i won't go to san francisco anymore i will not go there i will not go to los angeles i have a grandson that works in los angeles i said do you want to come to me come to santa monica i'm not going to los angeles mm-hmm. how and i went to new york i love I new york and i was i had to go on 54th street from, from 50 from fifth avenue over to 8th Avenue and along that street, in the heart of that city are, are homeless people. Homeless people. I mean, how, how could you be a, a humanitarian and allow homeless people in the major streets of our city and leaving them there, leaving them there, including veterans? I mean, hmm. we, we need another generation of, of people, and it'll happen. We're, I, I think we... We go, through, we, do, we go through cycles, vile cycles, doing the cycles, and that's this one, and hopefully virtuous cycles. I'm waiting, I hope, before I kick the bucket, I hope I, <laughs> keep, I get the virtuous cycle again. But uh, I've lived through virtuous cycles, and so have you, both of you, I'm sure. Yeah. And we've seen great leaders and, and so on.
1: But, um, but you're right, you know, and we've actually it? talked about what you said about the homelessness and how there's so much money that the U.S. government is sending for wars, and yet the homeless crisis is just absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, I remember seeing a man in and, New York. And, the, and see- the drug crisis,
0: and the drug crisis, all, <clears throat> this is all, you know, if somebody's going to write a story about the, the rise and fall of the uh, Roman Empire, this smells to me on all fronts like the beginning of the, 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 the fall of the American century.
1: You're, you're absolutely century, correct when we see it. Last century
0: was the American century, the American century. And now I don't know what this century is going to be even called. Mm. But it's, it's uh, you, you can only hope, only pray that things get better and try in your own way to do a good deed every day.
1: But you're right. And we agree with you on exactly what absolutely. you're talking about. We actually talk about that yeah. on this show.
0: Well, we can talk about it, but we've got to do something about it. We have to do. It's no, it's one thing to talk; it's one thing to do something about it. And uh, so I keep punching away my own way, trying to follow what, what wisdom I gained, particularly in in belief, the belief. if you don't have a belief structure, if you don't have a belief structure, you can believe in anything and do anything. You're right. Anyway, there you are. You have it. I've given you the best of the best in a short period of time.
1: And finally, I would like to talk about the... uh, I I liked in the book where you also recount your family's history and and the Jewish history and this insight into the Jewish culture and beliefs. Right. Some final thoughts. Would you like to make some statements regarding Israel or anti-Semitism? Well,
0: well, I I had a very... My grandmother, who, who you were kind enough to mention, my grandmother... Uh, if you ask a lot of people, and you ask yourselves, uh, where, were, where were your grandfather, or grandmother, or great-grandparents born? Ninety percent of the people in North America won't even know that. Well, I had decided, because my father died when I was young, that I would trace the roots of both my father and my mother to Europe. And when I did that, I came, my grandmother was easy to find because she came from a, a great rabbi called the Shaloh, and, he, and that means uh, two, he was the, the rabbi who did 30 books uh, in um, in Hebrew, and it, it, they were called the Two Tablets of the Covenant. Two Tablets of the Covenant. And the question he raised. This guy was born in 16 uh, 16th century, and then he decided after he was he was a chief rabbi of, uh, of Prague, chief rabbi of uh, Frankfurt. And then he decided that he would, he would uh, travel to Israel when his wife died. And then he became the first chief rabbi, uh Ashkenazi uh, chief rabbi of Jerusalem. And then he was captured by the Ottomans. He was put in prison, and then he escaped, and he went on the way to go to Sfat in the northern part of Israel. <coughs> and uh, on the way, he died, and he's buried in Tiberias. And I discovered his grave oh, about 20 years ago. And I
2: put Amazing story. In. And what was his name?
0: his name was the his name was isaiah horowitz oh isaiah
2: horowitz. from the horowitz dynasty of course oh, he was the head of the Horowitz dynasty
0: and um and he his 30 volumes i read all of his 30 volumes I got, I got an english version of about oh, about a third of it i can't read hebrew and he was he was an amazing man and my grandfather my paternal grandfather he was a student of two rabbis, one called Sashemis, which was the lip of truth. The other one, uh, or the mouth of truth, Sashemis. And the other one was called the and He was their student. Mm.
2: Yes.
0: And he taught something that was really, really important. He said, words, words can kill. Knives can't kill. Bullets can't kill, but words can kill and words can give orders to kill people. And therefore, you have to be careful with every word that you use. Do not use a word that inflames or is wrong or is ungodlike. And it was, it's, a, it's a hard lesson to learn because of me. I'm a, I'm a swearer. And every time oh. I do that, I say, oh, my but God.
1: But you sound like you're very spiritual. You sound very like a very spiritual man.
0: Well, I am, but I'm also a man of fun. We're all human and we all have flaws. So we work very hard to scrub our flaws.
1: Yes. Yes. That's, but that's, <laughs> that's amazing for someone like you to say. That's in big, other words, you wouldn't expect. That's a,
0: that's a big task. That's a big task. Don't. And, and one of the rabbis that I read about, was one of my favorites, called the Kutzker Rebbe. He was born about yes. the 17th century. And he had a nervous breakdown. And he was in a small town. He had a large following. He had a nervous breakdown. So he had his room right beside his small synagogue. And one day a kid comes knocking on his door, traveled across Europe, and he said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, rabbi I have to talk to you. And he said, leave me alone. And this guy was in the midst of a nervous breakdown. And he used to, every day, every year, start to write a page about the evil in the world. And at the end of the year, just before New Year's, he burnt the page because he couldn't stand what he had read how much evil there was in the world anyway so this young kid this young orthodox student comes knocks on his door opens the door and says rabbi 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 i need your advice i need your advice he says go away don't you understand i don't talk to people he said Need your advice he says he says what what i have one question he says what's the question he says what is the essence of judaism the rabbi says if i tell you will you go away and never bother me again he said yes said, the essence of Judaism is MS. MS in Hebrew means the truth, in sure. English means the truth. And the first thing you have to learn is to tell yourself the truth. Now get away and don't ever bother me again. So what we have to do, in my view, is to try to tell ourselves the truth. If you think that that's easy, it's not. It's not. We, all, we kid ourselves. So the truth will set you free, but we don't know how to do that. We really don't. We try,
1: but we don't succeed. You're right. That's that's some great insight.
2: I may add a, a Purim story, sir, in that we share a love. Go ahead. We share a love of Lubavitch. So my Purim was with Lubavitch, and they did such a remarkable job. My Shabbat, and I'm not a young man. For the first time, I met the former Ashkenaz chief rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau. This oh, yeah. was, story of. Exactly, he survived under the bones and the dead, and that's why he was not killed. And he's.
0: Right. Oh, I know his story.
2: Of him. course, but it was a great inspiration for me to meet him. And let me tell you something: the big smile, the big smile, the happiness that he evokes, and the wisdom and the years of knowledge. It was very inspiring for me.
0: Well, earlier this afternoon, this is absolutely true, the uh, head of the Jewish, uh, the Lubavitch Russian in Toronto came to visit me. And he brought me uh, muxes from Israel for Passover, the special shmira muttsas. And he's a great friend of mine. And he's done a fantastic job. I've helped him. We've brought some people out of uh, out of the Ukraine to come to Toronto, and uh, we helped. Uh, I know because I know the Ukraine I like the back of my hand. We we helped. Uh, we've had about eight or ten people that have come out. He just came to announce to tell me that that a, a, um, a rabbi, a, a North a, a Lubavitch rabbi, has just come with his wife to settle in Toronto, and he's going to open up a new synagogue under his aegis here in Toronto. So that was my. He, he, he rushed to tell me this story which I thought is fantastic. So the whole idea back to life is they They used to say there was an expression that said that there are 40 righteous men and Maybe women in the world at all times. They don't know who they are And they're, they're called the uh, Lamed Vos, the the righteous Right. They don't know who they are But they're called upon every once in a while to come and save the world and they say if you save one person's life, you saved the world. So that this rabbi believes that I believe it, and you never know who you, you never know when you're going to be called upon to do something great. You never know. It's synonymous.
1: Those are fantastic final words. We've got your book too, the one on the Holocaust, and yeah. are excited that after we we read that to have you back.
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you how that started uh, sort of an interesting story. And um, my wife is very influential in my wife, My wife, she says, you know, stop talking and do something. Stop. Don't <laughs> criticize anybody. Don't criticize anybody as you always do unless you can do something better. So one night I'm watching 60 minutes and they're interviewing this guy, Zundel, who was a Holocaust survivor and you know, was horrible. And I get off of, I uh, get off the, um, uh, watching the show, and I complained to my wife. She said, well, go and do something about it. So I said, I'll do something about it. I called another friend of mine, who was one of my, one of my great advisors. He passed away. And he said, well, why don't you write a book? I said, I can't write a book about the Holocaust. What the hell do I know about the Holocaust? I've only been to one one death camp, and I won't go to another. I, just, I, I couldn't stand being there. It was just horrible. And he said, Well, write a book. And I said, Well, I can't write a book. He said, Well, why don't you get other people to write a book giving their view? So I wrote the, that book called Beyond Imagination, which is dedicated to uh, my, part of my family that died in the Holocaust. And what I did was I got Jewish writers in Canada who were excellent, but were not Holocaust survivors, to give their view and their language, and their words about the Holocaust. Now, the most important little chapter in that book is Leonard Cohen, who was a great friend of mine. Leonard Cohen, a great songster. He wrote one of the greatest songs called Alleluia. One of the greatest songs in the world is Hallelujah. And Leonard wrote that song. And Leonard and I were good friends. And I, I wrote him a letter. And a day later, he sent me a poem. A day later. And uh, so that's in the book. You'll find the book interesting.
1: Well, after we we read that book, we would love to have you back again to talk about that book.
0: It would be my pleasure and my honor. And thank you. Thank you very much for taking the interest in my book. Uh, There's 20 years of work in that book. And uh, I think in some parts, it's really an
2: important book. You are genuinely a man of the met, of truth. And you're a gentleman, a scholar. Very honored to (laughs) have you on our show today.
1: Yes, and we will be having you... We'll probably be calling prayer. you more than you expect. <laughs> and
2: Shabbat Shalom end, to you, and happy well, let me, let me, happy Pesach, happy Passover. Word. Okay, let me have a final word. If my mother was
0: around and heard that, uh, she would be, My father, if my father heard it, he would be surprised. If my mother heard it, she says, never enough. Keep telling how good my son is, so thank you very much for that.
1: <laughs> Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And thank you so much. We're so honored to have you today. And thank you so much.
0: I look forward to talking to you again. Read that book. I think the best book I've done so far is that is the first book, the uh, Beyond Imagination. It it, it sold out. It did very well, actually.
1: We're looking forward to it.
0: it. You're doing God's work and she really appreciates it.
1: Okay, well, thank you again. And we will be in touch as soon as we read that book. And anybody else, please, we've got the book. We've got The Fractured 20th Century and Mr. Grafstein's books in our Amazon store. The link is below. You can get a copy of The Fractured 20th Century. It is a must read and get a copy today. Thank you, Jerry. And we will be in touch again soon.
0: Thank you. I appreciate your help here. Next time for more from Don Provda and Erica Gray for their twist on world news.